Hello, all you leadership educators out there, and welcome to Real Leadership for Real People, the NASPA SLPKC podcast, where we amplify true stories of leadership education. I'm your host, Kathy Guthrie, and I serve as a faculty member in the Higher Education Program at Florida State University. Hi, everyone. Cameron Beatty back again, also a faculty member in the Higher Education Program at Florida State University. We are so excited about today's episode and to engage with our colleague who Kathy will introduce here in just a second. But I want to check in first with you, Kathy. What's on your mind? What's been going on? You know, really right now, what's on my mind is the complexity in which our day-to-day lives are, right? Like the increasing complexity of the things that we are trying to navigate and things just keep getting thrown at us, I feel. And so I've been thinking about complexity on a couple different levels. Um, One is not only our personal lives, but the complexity of, geez, power and authority, which we all have known and navigated Um, right now, living in the state of Florida, there's a lot of um, complexity in going back to school and rise of COVID cases and what different individuals in power are saying about this. And so uh, I think about just the power and authority and complexity in which, yeah, I, I, you know, it's like, how do you even, I'm thinking about Mary um, Olbean's work about complexity and leadership. And so I've really been chewing on her work um, a lot lately and how, you know, she's been writing for a decade on this topic and just how it's coming alive in different ways for me right now. So what about you? What about you? No, I, I, I'm I'm right in line with you when thinking about complexity, thinking about change. Um, I was thinking about the, the end of the spring term. It was all the anticipation of we're going back in the fall. This is what it's going to look like. And now that it's time to go back in the fall, <laughs> I don't like the way it looks. And by the time maybe this podcast airs, it's going to be even messier or the complexity is going to be even even deeper, just the way that the things are moving and shaking. Um, Kathy and I got an email from our leaders at our institution today, and I was just so I was just a little annoyed by it, right? I was just annoyed by it, but it, like you said, the realities in which we're living in, and the state in which we're in, um, just the messiness of it all. But the me- I, what I don't like about the messiness is that we're not putting humanity first in some of these decision making processes, and it's just a little it's just extremely frustrating when you know that it's either about capitalism or um, about not wanting to make a politician mad at you. It's just it's just frustrating that that's not public health, right? Like we're moving and shaking in ways that just don't make common sense. So I'm frustrated right now. Yeah. And the humanity piece, right? I mean, that for me is like, imagine if we all thought about humanity first and what that, what our world would look like differently. I mean, I just... Yeah, I'm sitting with that. Yes, yes, sitting with that quite a bit. But, you know, I think our today's topic, especially our today's guest, I am so excited. I cannot shout loudly enough how excited I am to have a conversation and to share space with this incredible human being. And so Cheryl Hessel Goodman, thank you for joining us today. (laughs) Thank you for having me. This is a pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. And just a little bit about Cheryl. She is a PhD candidate at George Mason University. She's pursuing her degree in higher education with a concentration in women and gender studies and social justice. Yes. (laughs) I, I love Mason. It's been such a great place. And so I'm excited to be here today 
to talk a little bit about leadership. So thanks again for having me. Well, our first question for you is we kind of like to ease into the conversation and we want the audience and the listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So we think they're fun questions. So we hope that you indulge us. Uh, but the first question is when you are just riding around, riding alone in your car, what song do you sing out loud? So actually it's an entire album. So I love New Edition, their Heartbreak album from Ooh. start to finish. I know That's every single word, singing it out loud to the point where your voice, you lose your voice if it's a long car, car trip. So ever since sixth grade, that was actually my first concert. So that I'm answering your question, but an entire album. Oh, I love it. And that was your first concert. That is like even better. I remember my first like cassette, like big girl cassette tape. I'm dating myself and how old I am was a pointer sisters. And I was so proud of that. I still have it. I actually ran across it the other day. <laughs> so I'm thinking, what if it would still work if I put that cassette in? Well, I don't know if I have a cassette player, but, <laughs> but that, that first concert, that first piece is so incredible. So the next question is, is if you could only eat one food or meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Hands down rice. Steamed rice, sticky rice, fried rice, rice with butter, rice with sugar. I love all types of rice and I never get tired of it. I can literally eat it every day. I'm the opposite. My grandmother loved rice, so she made us eat rice. And I was like, okay, right. There's a lot of rice. <laughs> Um, our last question before we ease into our topic for today, and I think it's a nice segue into um, really thinking about your experience and, and really highlighting the narrative that you shared with us through the operationalizing culturally relevant leadership learning text um, is talk to us about who or what was your, like sparked your first interest in leadership. So I, thinking about that question, I think for me, it was in seventh grade and becoming like a cheerleading coach for a fifth grade team, um, you know, kind of in junior high doing some student council positions and then in high school doing Buckeye Girls State. So I'm originally from Ohio, for those of you that know that. And that was like such a big deal to get invited to be a part of Buckeye Girls State and running for the position of mayor. And like at that point, you know, I really thought about leadership in terms of positional leadership, but I enjoyed being a part of the group and sharing that vision. So to me, that was the aspect of leadership that first sparked my interest so young. Oh, thank you for that. I, you know, I was, um, I grew up in Illinois and so I didn't realize that you're from Ohio and gosh, Cameron, you're Indiana. We're a bunch of Midwesterners on this, on this, uh, episode, but thinking about girl state and how influential that was for me and my journey of leadership. I mean, just, yeah, incredible, but thank you again for, um, sharing a little bit about, about yourself. And as you know, this season on the NASPA SLPKC web or podcast, I should say, we are focusing on socially just and culturally relevant leadership learning. And you wrote a narrative um, titled Identity Development and Leadership for the upcoming book that Cameron and I got to co-author called Operationalizing Culturally Relevant Leadership Learning. And can you briefly summarize your narrative for the listeners to kind of get a sense of what that was about? Yeah, sure. So my article is really geared towards leadership educator and leadership educator, excuse me, and talks about leadership programming curriculum 
uh, that we create that often addresses differences about social identities, such as race, sexual identity, but falls short in helping students make meaning of those differences and establishing inclusive and developmentally appropriate learning environments. You know, I give examples in the piece of the ways in which students can be triggered by their peers and whose understanding around diversity and social justice can be mismatched. You know, I talked about the importance of power inequities and equalities across communities and being intentional about what leadership frameworks you're using that help to guide your work as leadership educators. Absolutely. And thank you for your contributions to the book. I'm, I'm really interested and really excited about people engaging with the narratives um, in the book, um, especially the ones that we've highlighted so far. Uh, could you talk to us uh, about your past experience, both professionally and personally, in and outside of leadership education and how that has really informed your approach to this work? Absolutely. And <laughs> to be honest, I'll kind of giggle because in the narrative, I talk a lot about my mistakes I've made over the years. So I really thought I was doing, you know, good work and helping and pushing students to grow and develop, um, particularly during leadership retreats that I spent a lot of time as a leadership educator working on. So I would work overtime, you know, to make sure the students of various racial groups would intermix, right? That was my priority. And during the downtimes, trying to help students of color and white students find commonalities. And I felt like the measure of success is when students met new friends who didn't look like them. You know, I would also ask and expect students of historically marginalized identities to educate their peers or be flexible and accommodating when their peers of privileged identities took up too, too much space or whose learning created hostile and oppressive environments. So really, having those moments of mistakes or missteps really have been central to me understanding and really shaping how I've been able to really think about uh, in terms of leadership. Uh, thank you so much for like, because that's vulnerable to say like, I've misstepped. And I, I say that all the time because I, when I honestly think about my early days as a leadership educator, I was definitely part of the problem. I perpetuated some of the, the problems. And so I think about that. And so thank you for just um, sharing that piece of it. So a little bit kind of pushing a little bit more on that question, what like literature or theories do you also rely on outside of leadership education to inform your thinking about this work? So in the article I wrote, um, of course, I talk about culturally relevant leadership learning model and how it provides a framework for how leadership educators can honor students' individual identities while also creating capacity and efficacy within the context of their own leadership learning. Um, also for me, particularly, I think that model is helpful when you're thinking about how students make meaning of their own social constructs uh, in terms of identity, but also in relation to systems of oppression as a foundation, right, to the leadership learning process. Personally, I'm really inspired by the work of Black feminist scholars like Dr. Patricia Hill Collins, Anna Julia Cooper, Bell Hooks, Brittany Cooper. Um, and I take their work, so for example, with Patricia Hill Collins, with her concept of the outsider within, you know, it kind of means this place of this unique location of African-American women 
and it points to the intersection of race, gender, and socioeconomic status. And I think understanding these unique places that students possess is really important and informs, you know, how we should really think about leadership education. You know, also Julie Owen's work on women in leadership and thinking about the many possible manifestations of leadership and gender and John Dugan's work on cultivating critical perspectives on leadership. I mean, I could go on and on, but those are some of the pieces that really um, help me think about and how I approach my work in terms of leadership. This next question I love because I, I, I to me, I think that you, you do this um, and, and I would love to for the listeners to hear your response to thinking about um, practical scholarship. So your narrative and using it as a piece of practical scholarship, which can be applied to address the various crises on campus. How do you see that? How do you see that nar your narrative really contributing to this concept of, be of being practical scholarship? Yeah, you know, and to be honest with you, I wrote that piece prior to the pandemic and our country's recent reckoning with racism and our current move right now towards anti-racism, social justice and equity. But I do think that this piece is particularly relevant right now. I think before, you know, the conversation was on diversity and inclusion, where now we're concerned with how we can work towards anti-racism and having an understanding around students' identities and how we wrestle with privilege and oppression in intentional ways. And how you know that is implicit within leadership is really critical. How can we talk about leadership in our current climate not to center you know, these types of conversations? You know, I think in the past we haven't tried to center them, and I think now we should be. I also think, you know, five to seven years ago, you might not, you might be able to argue that students aren't ready for these conversations. And I would even agree with where my colleagues were coming from at that time. But now I think it's really essential and it's important that these aren't relegated to this one special session on DEI, but rather how do we see systemic issues of oppression as part of our larger conversations around leadership. In the article, I talk about the importance of how students of varying identities navigate university settings. You know, for example, the ways that Asian cis women or black trans men you know, must navigate leadership hierarchy differently than white men, right? So thinking about how we establish credibility as leaders or the varying context in the university environments, whether it's residence halls or academic classrooms and how students with their unique identities have to navigate that differently and being conscious about that in the conversations that we're holding with students. All important considerations, right? And in, even just thinking about how do we intentionally engage in that reflection for all leadership educators, that self-work to not only be aware and acknowledge, but then how do we, you know, continue to move forward? And so thinking about this work, how do you see this, you know, where do you see it going? How do you see this, you know, your ideas in this narrative moving forward? And what do you hope that others will take from this and move forward? So a lot of moving forward as we need, right? I mean, Absolutely. I appreciate your um, comment about, you know, before pandemic and before, you know, anti-racism was actually even a term that was commonly used in talking about curriculum. But any, any thoughts on that about moving forward? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question. You know, when I wrote this, I think I was thinking about the perspectives of intersectional identities, and I think that's important. But I also think now it's critical to begin to really interrogate these ideas of intersectionality to include the dynamics of power 
and intersectionality in its dimensions. So thinking specifically about Kimberly Crenshaw's work around intersectionality dimensions and models, there's current scholars like Antonio Duran, Susan Jones, Rochelle Pope, um, you know, the list can go on and on, but really to think about intersectionality as a framework, you know, even like Shayla Haynes and their work around intersectional methodologies, how are we thinking about and using critical lens to uncover these macro and micro power relations and how we're centering minoritized groups. When I wrote the piece, you know, I was really interested in thinking about how we can challenge ourselves with leadership programs to honor students of diverse identities, especially when they're coming from conflicting spectrums, right? How we need to make sure that our programs vary in needs in terms of how we sometimes neglect equal consideration with students' developmental needs, but also their diverse social identities and paying attention to those power and equities across leadership communities, particularly when we're thinking about programming, because the really thinking about power and its impact is really how we think about how we can continue to make sure we're not doing harm to students, particularly when we're not paying attention and creating non-inclusive environments when we're not concerned about issues of social justice. And it's, it's ongoing work, right? It's, it's not a checklist, it's not, a, not an endpoint, right? The, the work is ongoing. So talk to us about what, what gives you energy, what gives you joy, what gives you hope about the future of social justice, leadership education, socially just leadership education? Yeah, you know, as I think about, you know, the possibilities and the opportunities for our future around leadership, I'm really thinking about how folks are primed and ready for these conversations. And also what gives me hope, and this is something that I've been thinking about as I approach my own work, is how do we incorporate more interdisciplinary lenses around social justice and how we can begin to think about it using women and gender studies, African studies and the African diaspora, sociology, how can that inform our work? And I also think thinking about what's happening now around anti-racism and DEI is really being is really giving me hope, particularly as we're starting to think about and attend to issues of power. And it's important to think about, you know, how are we using this work, not just because it's what you're supposed to do, right? Or it's this representative of, you know, the new trends, right? And this is like the new and sexy concept that we're thinking about. But really, how do we keep these concepts to the forefront as we think about issues of inequity, which means we might have to be a little bit uncomfortable, we might have to give up some resources, we might have to readjust our thinking. But how are we moving beyond conversations where we're concerned about tokenism and microaggressions, which are important, right? And thinking about larger systems of power. And so what gives me hope is that we're starting to see those conversations, particularly today when we're thinking about anti-racism, right? Because that's more than just caring about our individual actions, but also systemically what's happening. And that, to be honest, has really given me hope to see how far we've come, even in this year. I mean, clearly we have a long way to go, but, but I am hopeful uh, by the progress that I've already started to see uh, take place so far. Yes, right. That does give me hope as well. Like acknowledging that we have come some distance, but we have a lot more to go. Right. And so thank you for, I know that you are in a busy, busy time in your life right now. <laughs> so thank you for joining us just for this, this conversation and you're sharing your brilliance and your energy with us today. So until then, leadership educators, keep it real out there. <laughs>